24, verses 1 through 14 is where we're going to read this morning. Matthew chapter 24. If you could give me just a little more in the monitor up here, I would appreciate it. Matthew chapter 24. I'm going to read verses 1 through 14. Matthew chapter 24, verses 1 through 14. I didn't say it from the pulpit last week, and, and I'm, I apologize for that, but let me say from the pulpit uh, this week, thank you so much to everybody who uh, just blessed us so much a couple of weeks ago with a great Pastor Appreciation Day. Thank you so much. Those of you that gave gifts, gave offerings, uh, made food, uh, said kind words to us, I just want to say thank you so much that uh, my family is so appreciative, and I, I thank you for the love that you have shown our family over this past year, and I'm thankful. I'm truly thankful to be here uh, in Starkville, Mississippi, and I thank you for the love you've shown my family. Matthew chapter 24, I'm going to start at verse 1. I'm reading from the NIV this morning. If you got it, would you say amen? Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? Jesus answered, Watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming, I am the Christ, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I want to speak to you this morning on a subject that I, I feel like has really been on a lot of our hearts, especially here recently, is this, the end. Would you stretch your hands this way and pray for me as I pray for you? Father, I thank you so much. Lord, I thank you for your presence that is in this place. Thank you, Lord God, that you are our invited guest, our guest of honor. Thank you that you're here with us. And I thank you for every person that has come here tonight. Thank you for, Lord, their participation. Thank you for their worship. Thank you for their giving. Thank you for those that are praying for me now. I pray for them, O oh Lord, that you'd open their hearts, their minds, and their spirits, Lord, that they would receive, whether here in person, listening by podcast. I pray that you would just let your word do the work. And I ask that you would help me today. God, anoint me from the top of my head to the soles of my feet. Give me the clarity of thought, the clarity of speech that is so necessary. Lord God, as the prophet Jeremiah said, Lord, let your word be like fire shut up in my bones here today. I pray, oh God, that you just use me in a very powerful way. And God, we thank you that you're in control here. In Jesus' mighty name I pray. And everybody in the house said, amen. God bless you. You can be seated here this morning. Is this the end? Matthew records five different teaching series that biblical scholars refer to as discourses. Everybody say discourses. Oh, come on now. That's pitiful. Y'all get a little more excited about a discourse. And everybody say discourses. <laughs> there we go. There are five different discourses that scholars refer to in the book of Matthew. The very first one 
is what we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount, which contains the Beatitudes. And Lord willing, Creek don't rise and he don't change my mind. Uh, probably in the next few weeks, I want to do a series on the Beatitudes. It is in the first discourse in the Sermon on the Mount. But as we come into chapter 24 of the book of Matthew, it is the beginning of the fifth and final discourse in the book of Matthew. This section is one of the most complex of Jesus' teachings. In fact, entire systems of eschatology have been devised to explain it. And I know what some of y'all are thinking. You're like, oh, Lord, this sounds boring already. Don't panic on me yet. You see, uh, we as humans, we want answers to questions, don't we? we? We always, we want answers to questions. As as a father, I learned very quickly, and I guess I've been, oh, Molly Kate's 11 now, so I'm getting older, so I can't remember if it was the twos, the threes, the fours, but I do remember that uh, at some point in there, the most famous question that you get is, why? I need you to go to the bathroom. Why? Well, because you need to. Why? The sky is blue. Why? You need to eat your vegetables. Why? I, I, it's time to go to school. Why? Come on now. Help me out just a little bit. I just said, why, 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 why? That, that curiosity starts at an early age. You know, we want answers to questions, don't we? We want to investigate things. You know, sometimes we want answers to stuff that don't even matter. How in the world does the National Enquirer even exist? Well, I don't know if it does. Does it even exist anymore? Can you still buy it? On the, or is it all online now? Now it's all online. But how in the world are things like junk that don't even really matter, but yet something in us, our curiosity, what we want answers, to questions. We want to know what's going on. You know, kids nowadays, they, they just don't understand it. They don't understand what it used to be like. Do y'all remember when you had a question about something and there was no Google and, and it was an argument forever? Maybe you go find an Encyclopedia Britannica. Come on, all you old folks, help me out. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Uh, you'd go find an encyclopedia or you find somebody that you thought knew something about it. But nowadays, it's just pull out Google and find it immediately. We as humans, we always are wanting answers to questions. And that's not necessarily a bad thing because I believe that it's that drive for answers is what has pushed us to develop the technology and the modern medicine that we have today. I, I told you a few weeks back, I went down to Loosedale and I preached uh, part of the funeral uh, for one of my former members named Curtis Prescott. He was in his 80s. And one thing that I always appreciated about Brother Curtis was he always used to say, you know, some folks talk about the good old days all the time. He's like, I don't remember them as being so good. He's like, I enjoy air conditioning. He said, I enjoy not having to go out and pick peas and be able to go to the grocery store and buy them. Come on, somebody. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I'm thankful today. I'm thankful that we don't have to to die from simple diseases anymore. I'm thankful for modern medicine. And it is that, that questioning that I believe God put in us that we have the things that we have today. There are things that we must remember as we're asking these questions. And we want to know this question that I put up on the screen today, the very title of my message today, is this the end? We have these kind of questions. And I think that is a question going through a whole lot of people's minds nowadays. Even if they don't proclaim to be Christians right now, there's just something inside of folks that's just like with what's going on in the world. Is this the end? Is this thing about to wrap up? What is going on? Well, there are things we must remember when we're studying the end times and we're asking these questions. Number one, we must be careful not to read things into the passages that neither Matthew or Jesus New. Matthew chapter 24, look at verse 36. I want you to keep your Bibles open. We're going to be right here all morning. Look at verse 36 with me. It says, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only 
the Father. You see, I want to let you know today, I'm not Perry Stone. I'm not John Hagee. I'm not some kind of great end-time prophecy teacher. And there are people, preachers and teachers, that are a lot better at it than me. I know that and I realize that. And I'm not trying to be some great theologian or some great end-time teacher. But I also, in the place where I'm at, have to caution us to be careful that anytime somebody tells you that they know the day or they know the hour they know exactly when Jesus Christ is coming back they lying to you folks because it was Jesus right here that said the angels don't know the son doesn't even know it is only the father in heaven that knows when he's coming back now we are looking at this and we know in this passage that he says you don't know the day or the hour but just like the fig tree goes through sea Seasons, you can recognize seasons. And so I think we would be crazy if we didn't say, you know what, we do recognize the seasons, but be careful not to let anybody narrow it down. Listen, I've been in church all my life. I'm not going to name no names because I love them. I enjoyed it. Listen, I have sat in services and I've watched people take Hebrew letters and put numbers on them and Greek letters and put numbers on them and try to figure out who's the anarchist. Christ and the day that Jesus Christ is coming back and all that kind of stuff and listen y'all may enjoy that and that's all right but please 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 don't let anybody try to convince you that they have some way somehow figured out the exact moment when Jesus Christ is coming back because he don't even know (laughs) so keep that in mind number two the thing to keep in mind as we dig into this that this section is two things it is both prophetic everybody say prophetic And listen, it warns, because here's, I want you to get both sides of this prophetic. It does warn the unrepentant of impending judgment. It is, it's a warning. You know, I think sometimes we become so soft and so seeker-friendly as churches that we have stopped warning people that there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun. We've stopped warning people that there is a God. He loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But at the same time, we also have to warn that if you do not accept this gift from God, that judgment will come. Me and one of my friends, when we tag team preached, Dale and Mooningham, we preached a, we preached a message. One of our first times we'd go out and preach, we preached a tag team message called Sundown and Payday. There truly is a payday coming someday. And so being prophetic, it does warn the unrepentant of impending judgment, but it also promises blessing to the faithful. Listen, church, can I just tell you today that we as the church, that we that are washed in the blood, we that are bought with the precious blood of Christ, we whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, this whole end time thing, it should not be a frightening thing. It shouldn't be something that scares us. Absolutely not. In fact, when Paul is telling the Thessalonians about the rapture and the coming of the Lord, he, in fact, when he closes that out, he says, comfort one. One another with these words. You see, if your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, this prophetic message about the coming of the Lord should be a blessing to the faithful. And let us know that this thing, as bad as it is, that there's an end to this. And the end to this is that we will rule and reign with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Give Him praise if you believe it. As much as it warns unrepentant of impending judgment, it gives promise of blessing to the faithful. But not only is it prophetic, it is also apocalyptic. In other words, you say, what does that mean? The judgment and promises of God coming through an invasion from the heavenly cosmos to the earthly world, engulfing it and transforming it. Why do you think we're so curious about that? Why do you think movies like Independence Day and all these different things, we've, we, we've, they've been so successful in the world that because truly there's coming, but they ain't going to be aliens with green skin and all that that's going to be coming and invading us from the heavenlies. No, it's going to be a heavenly Lord and master named Jesus Christ riding a white horse with the armies of heaven behind him that will come down to this earth. When studying these apocalyptic scripture, one can never be completely sure. 
when any item is to be understood literally or figuratively. That's one thing you've got to be careful. When you read the book of Daniel, when you read uh, those kind of things, when you read the book of Revelation, when you read in Ezekiel these prophetic messages and these apocalyptic scriptures, we can never be completely sure because the Lord does give some things figuratively as well. So we must be careful when we study them. Fourthly, we should look twice at interpretations to reduce the mystery of the consummation of all things to linear charts and rigid brittle formulas. You see, we've got to be careful that we don't think we have this thing so figured out that we can easily put. Now, I'm not against charts and timelines. Listen, I've taught this and preached this myself, and I've used timelines to help us figure some things out and so that we can visually see it. But listen, we've got to be careful that we can't, this whole apocalypse, this whole consummation of all things, we got to be careful that we don't think, well, we got everything figured out and it's going to easily fit in to this chart that we have worked up and put on a stage or put online no because it is not necessarily a mystery explained you see it means a mystery revealed not a mystery explained is what apocalypse means. In other words, it's revealed to us, but I'm not always going to understand all of it. You know, that's part of following God all the time, isn't it, for us Christians? That's part of this faith walk. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not. We don't always see it. Part of this Christian walk is I don't have everything figured out. Listen, I'm the pastor, and I don't have everything figured out. I don't have every answer to every question. I can't explain everything of why God does this or why God exactly allows this. Part of this whole thing is it's a faith walk. And I've got to have faith in the fact that I serve a God that's a lot bigger than me and a lot smarter than me, whose ways are higher than my ways, whose thoughts are higher than my thoughts. I can't can't figure it all out. And please don't ever think that we're going to be able to just figure this whole thing out. We must always keep in mind that Jesus became a common man for common people. But at the same time, his ways are higher than our ways. So I'm going to give you, I see the time and I'm watching it so nobody panic. So I'm going to give you a quick Sunday morning look into this passage, Matthew 24. And what I believe it tells us about the end of time. And listen, I promise, listen, don't worry. I'm not telling you by the time, by the time you walk out of this room, you'll know the day and the hour that Jesus is coming back. You'll be able to write it all on a chart and know it. No, absolutely not. But I believe that we can look into the Bible and God does give us some insight on what to expect and what to see. Let's start with number one if you're taking notes. Number one, we find that Jesus predicts the destruction of of the temple. We're right here in chapter 24 again. Let's read verses 1 and 2 again. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him and called his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked? I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. We find that the disciples were admiring the temple buildings that were constructed by Herod the Great. Now, we find at this time in history, this was the second temple that was built. You remember Solomon built the first temple, and of course, that was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of Babylon, and then Nehemiah comes back, and they rebuild the temple, but this was not now just the temple that was built by Nehemiah, but Herod the Great had added on to the temple. It was not just the temple that we read about. God gave Moses the directions, or David as he prepared for it, or Solomon as he built, or what Nehemiah built. There had been many, many additions that had happened and they were, these were constructed by Herod the Great. And in Mark 13 it is a parallel passage and it gives details to the disciples being amazed by the huge stones that were used. And in fact to this day it is still an engineering wonder of how they used such great stones and put them on top of each other and built these buildings there in the temple. And Jesus says, as the disciples are discussing this and they're so amazed and they're so wowed Jesus tells them that not one of those stones would be left on another. Now, we know prophetically that that, of course, has already happened. In A.D. 70, we know that the Jews began to rebel, and the Romans came into Jerusalem and tore the whole place down. Not one stone was left on another in A.D. 70, but just like 
Jesus Christ had said. What does this tell us? I believe that it tells us that we must remember not to build our earthly, our lives on earthly things. In fact, we know that the temple was of an extreme importance to the Jews, but Jesus was telling them, this thing is about to be gone. This building that you love so much, these buildings that Herod the Great has built, this, this engineering marvel that you see before you, it is going to be gone. And then in chapter 21, he had already told them in verse 42, Jesus saith unto them, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected, the same is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. In other words, Jesus reminds us we cannot build on earthly things. We cannot build on a church building the physical mortar and bricks. We cannot build on a group of people. We cannot build on a denomination. We cannot even build on a nation. Folks, the only thing that we can secure build on is Jesus Christ. He said, I am the chief cornerstone. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And we are reminded in this day that we are facing the end that the only sure foundation to build on is Jesus' blood and His righteousness. Give Him praise if you believe it. Believe it or not, we're going to keep moving. Number two, if you're taking notes. Jesus begins to explain more about the end of time. Look with me at verses 3 through 8, still in chapter 24 here. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered, watch out that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Christ and will deceive many. You'll hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. So we find now that the scene has now moved from the temple to the Mount of Olives. They were there and they were walking away. They were looking at the buildings. Jesus is telling them, and now they've moved on out of the city. They've moved to the Mount of Olives. And I believe just like with God, in everything with God, this is no coincidence. How many of you still believe there's no coincidence with God? God is, listen, I, folks, let me just tell you, I, I don't believe in karma. I believe in an almighty God. Listen, I do believe that God taught about the principles of so and but there's not karma. There's not some of the or mysterious forces in this universe and, and things just happen to do this. Absolutely not. I believe that my God that I serve has lined everything up from the very beginning. This is no coincidence that they're at the Mount of Olives now. And because this is where Jesus is going to leave the earth after his death burial and resurrection he's going to be on the earth 40 days after his resurrection until finally he's going to walk with the disciples back out to the same place on the mount of olives where he's going to be ascended into heaven into the clouds you see there was a lot to go through for these disciples in just a short amount of time before that would happen but they would make it you see they had a lot to go through they still had to go through the ups and downs. They were about to, and we're about to, in this, we're almost to this season this year. They were going to have to go through that Palm Sunday. They were going to have to walk into Jerusalem as Jesus was on the colt and, and the people were waving the palm branches saying, What? Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Listen, don't you know, don't you know the disciples on that day felt good? Come on, somebody. I, I mean, here what? They've been following Jesus around for three years now. And you know, some people would accept him, some not. He, you know, he gained some popularity. Some people love him. Started to be more people that hate him. But you know, on that Palm Sunday, I mean, he's riding into Jerusalem. Everybody's waving them palm branches. They walking beside the the colt. Don't you know that Peter? He's probably saying to, "Aren't y'all Matthew? Hey, Matthew, aren't you glad we got on in on this guy early? Aren't you? I knew he was going to be a winner. I knew this. I knew it. I mean, they's feeling good walking into Jerusalem. I mean, Hosanna, we with a winner now. I knew Jesus." was going to do. I, I knew it. I knew he's going to do that. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. Some of y'all, when y'all know somebody that's famous or somebody's doing good, I knew him. I watched him when he's playing Little League. But I knew he's going to do good. I knew that boy's going to do. He's up there with Jesus walking in Jerusalem. This is great. This is awesome. But by the end of the week, 
They in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is telling them, hey guys, stay awake, let's pray. What are they doing? They falling asleep. They wake up to Jesus. He, he takes Peter, James, and John, the inner three. He's like, come on, let's go a little further. Let's go a little further. Stay right here. Pray with me right here. Jesus goes. Jesus comes back. And what happened? Jesus been. Jesus is in such anguish and distress that he's doing well. He's sweating blood. I mean, he's sweating blood there. Blood is just running down. He's sweating and blood mixed. He's been praying the anguish, the weight of what's about to happen. He comes back. They done fell asleep on him. And so then they're like, come on, let's go. Let's get on out of here. Uh, we, uh, just stay awake. And then finally, what they hear? They hear the soldiers coming. And they come. And old Judas, they'd already been through. I don't have time today. They've already been through the, the, the Last Supper. They've been through Jesus washing their feet. They're out in Gethsemane. The soldiers have come. Judas, who ran out of there, they didn't probably really understand what was going on. He's like, one of y'all's going to betray me. Judas takes it. Do what you're going to do. Judas takes off. Then he shows back up with these soldiers. Remember, this is a wild ride. <laughs> and then he, Jesus is arrested. Peter gets all crazy, cuts off the servant of the high priest's ear. Jesus picks it up, puts it back on, heals him. I mean, don't you know Peter was probably aggravated? I was protecting you. What did you put it back on for? I just cut it off. <laughs> you know, some people say that if Peter was just a bad aim. He was a fisherman. He wasn't a swordsman. He's really aiming for his head, but he hit his ear. <laughs> They take Jesus off. Peter goes through denying Christ, what, three times just like Jesus said he would. He goes through this mock trial. They beat him. They crucify him. They, they, they watch him on the cross. Joseph of Arimathea goes and begs for the body of Jesus. He buries the body on Friday. Saturday was the Jewish Sabbath, so they can't do anything but rest. Sunday morning early, they get up and they head back to the tomb where Jesus was. The stone is rolled away. Jesus is gone. They're all tore up about that until finally he appears to them. And 40 days later after the resurrection, they're going to be back here at the Mount of Olives. To watch him ascend into heaven. They had a lot to go through. But they were going to make it. Listen folks, I just want to tell you. I don't want you to get all stressed out and all worried. Just like they had a lot to go through. As they were sitting here on the Mount of Olives. They had no idea. I don't know. Listen, don't, don't take me at my word. I don't think the scripture ever records that they'll go back to the Mount of Olives in this format until Jesus ascends. I'm, I'm taking it in my own time. I don't think they'll come back here. They don't realize what they're going to have to go through before they actually come back here after the resurrected Jesus is ascending to heaven. But they were going to make it. And I need to let you know this morning, I don't know exactly all that we're going to have to go through. I don't know all that's going to affect us in these last times and how it's exactly going to affect us all, but I just need to encourage somebody and let you know you're going to make it. You're going to make it. I'm going to make it. I've got confidence that this same Jesus that helped the disciples make it through is going to help us. Because this place, the Mount of Olives, is where Jesus is going to return to earth. Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4, on that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley with half of the mountain moving north and half moving south. You see, I believe there is coming a day where Jesus is. He's coming back. He's coming. I do believe. Now, listen, I don't have time this morning to get in the rapture. I believe in the rapture. I don't know if you do. I don't know if you don't, but I do. And I personally believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. I believe that he's going to spare us from that seven years of tribulation that's going to hit this. The Bible tells us he's going to come halfway and meet us and take him where we'll have the marriage supper of the Lamb and the judgment seat of Christ. And then after that seven years is when this is going to happen and he's coming back to the Mount of Olives and it's going to split in half east to west. I find in this, Jesus has a plan. I know that we feel like things are just absolutely spinning out of control. We do. We feel like stuff is just completely out of control going here. And we wonder, 
We wonder if our lives and life in general even has a purpose. But I need to remind you as we study this that Jesus Christ has a plan. He's not been thrown off. He's not been caught off guard by anything that is happening in this world. He's got a plan for the future in general. Read it. It's all in here. And he's got a plan for your future. Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. I need you to hear this preacher today. God has a plan for your future. The disciples ask about a sign of Jesus coming. At verse 3, coming and the end of the age. The word for coming comes from a Greek word. I'm probably not pronouncing this right. Perusia, which literally means presence. Everybody say presence. It was used to describe official state visits of dignitaries. You see, what the disciples were asking were, they knew that at that point he was physically on earth with them. And we know that God is omnipresent and he is everywhere, but not everybody right now recognizes his presence. But what the disciples were asking was, Jesus, when is the day coming? When is that presence coming? When you as an official dignitary are going to step out of heaven and step back onto this planet and every eye is going to behold you and every person, there's not going to be no denying it then, folks. There is coming a day where he will peruse you, where his presence is going to be made known to every man, woman, boy, and girl, every atheist, every Buddhist, every Muslim, every Christian, every man, woman, woman, boy, and girl, no matter what kind of name they name, they will recognize the presence of Jesus Christ. Now Jesus gives them some birth pains. Everybody say birth pains. Verses 4 through 8. We read those already. He begins to give them birth pains. You see, they wanted one single event. To give them the signal of the time of wrapping up. They wanted one thing. You know, Jesus, let the moon fall out of the sky. Or let a great big cross show up in the sky. Or give us some sort of a sign. We want one big signal to let us know that time is wrapping up. But Jesus, instead of giving them what they wanted, gave them what they needed, and we needed. Now, y'all didn't quite catch that. We always, you see, God does that a lot, I found out. Instead of giving me what I want, he gives me what I need. <laughs> what they wanted was one big sign. What they wanted was one big thing to look at. But he's like, nope, that's not what you're getting. Instead, I'm going to give you something else. He gives them, he says, I'm going to give you some birth pain. Now, I'm not a professional by any means. I have been present in the room for two births, and that's all I plan on ever being in the room for human births. I've seen animals born plenty of times, but as far as humans, I've only seen two, and that's all I plan on witnessing. And so I'm not an expert. One thing I know is this. One contraction don't birth a baby. It ain't just one, come on, let all the ladies in the house say amen. <laughs> it ain't just one contraction that births a baby. It takes many contractions to see a baby birth. So as Jesus is talking to them, they said, we want this one big sign. And Jesus said, that ain't what you're going to get. But I'm going to give you the birth pains. Because before I come back and all this wraps up, it's going to take more than just one. I got several things that are going to have to happen. What are these pains? Well, we read in verse 23 through 27 that false messiahs would come. Look at it again with me. Look at verse 23. Verse 23. At this time, actually we didn't get down to this. We're going to read this first time. At this time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I've told you ahead of time. So if anyone tells you, there, there he is out in the desert, do not go out. Or here he is in an inner room, do not believe it. 
For as lightning that comes from the east, let's look at this. For as lightning comes from the east is visible, even in the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. So what do we find in this? Jesus says there's going to be messianic, there's going to be those that are going to be false messiahs. And we find messianic pretenders and false prophets were very common in the first century. People that claim to be Messiah, people that, you know, that's not quite as common in our day anymore. You know, we see some of these crazies. Been a long time. I can remember, and we'll date myself a little bit. I remember David Koresh and Waco, Texas, and the, the, the Branch Davidian compound. Come on, how many of y'all remember that? You know, we don't see them quite as much, but, you know, there are those that somewhat do. But the Bible, Jesus says, look, as we get closer to this, there are going to be a whole lot of folks that are going to claim to be the Messiah. And, and listen, this is what is really scary, that the working of miracles is not even a guarantee that the practicer is a true follower of the Lord. In fact, Jesus said they're going to be so convincing that the very elect could almost be duped into this thing. That's pretty frightening, ain't it? But can I just tell you, I thank God. That, that's why, folks, I believe more than ever that we have got to have the help of the Holy Ghost. We need the Holy Spirit that will reveal to us what is true and what is false. Verse 26, we note the secret locales of false messiahs. That we, he, they said, he said this, so if anyone tells you, there he is out, out in the desert, don't go out, or here he is in the inner room, don't believe it. Can I just tell you this? You know what I've always gotten from this? Not only for the last days, but for every day. Listen, God ain't never been about secrets. If somebody tries to tell you, listen, I've got a secret, a secret revelation that only God has given to me, but you've got to come into this secret club to be absolutely not. Jesus said, hey, they start telling you that stuff, don't even go out there. Can I remind you, it's a whosoever gospel. He came for anybody and everybody that will listen. He said, don't believe it when they, the, you got these secret ones. But we know the obviousness of his coming. For as lightning comes from the east, as visible in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. The first time he came, he came as a little baby born in a stable laid in a manger. Oh, there was a star, and there were certainly those that took notice, but the whole world didn't really notice, did they? There were those that didn't even really. The king couldn't even really find him. The wise men found him, but the king couldn't even. He was killing babies left and right to find him, but he couldn't find him. But brothers and sisters, can I remind you that when he comes back again, the Bible said just like lightning can be in the east, ghosts tearing through the sky to the west, and you can see it everywhere when Jesus comes back again. It's not going to be hidden. He's not going to be hidden in a stable. He's not going to be placed in a manger. He's going to break the sky wide open and come forth so that all the world sees him. I'm going to back up a little bit We find wars of rumors and wars Verse 6, you know that And listen, we find that he says that He says it must happen You'll hear wars and rumors of wars But see to it, you're not alarmed Such things must happen I don't understand it I don't like it But God said this has got to happen Wars are going to happen by the end of the tribulation, by the time the seven years, the great tribulation is over, the only one that could ever bring peace to this world is the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ. I know we think we see things all shaken up, things are getting bad, but listen, you ain't seen nothing yet. It's going to be bad, and it's going to get to the place where there is no one but Jesus that could ever bring peace. He said in verse 7, nation will rise against nation, kingdom will rise against kingdom. Listen, alliances everywhere are being questioned even right now. We find in that second half of, half of verse 7, he talks about famines happening. Famines are happening all over this world. Earthquakes in verse 7 also. Now stay with me right here because this is twofold. Matthew uses this word several times or, or words such as this. And when you go back to chapter 21 of verse 10, look with me. I hope you got your Bible open. I told you I want you to see this. In chapter 21 and verse 10, when Jesus, this is what I was talking about a second ago, 
it was Palm Sunday. They case Jesus is coming in. They say in Hosanna in the highest, verse 10, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. Everybody say stirred. That comes from the same family of words. If you know anything about Strong's Concordance numbers, I looked it up, and it is two, there's, there's only one number. This one's like 78. The other one is 79. They are in the same family of Greek words. They have the same root word, this stirred and this earthquake. In other words, follow me here, this can be used figuratively or literally. Seismos can mean storms, earthquakes, or civil disturbances. You see, in other words, Jesus is saying, you'll see what are part of, remember, these are birth pains. It's not just one thing that's going to happen, but he said it's, it's not just one contraction burst of baby. It's going to take a lot of them. And he said, what are those birth pains? One of them is seismos. Yes, the earth is literally going to be shaken. There's going to be earthquakes where the ground shifts and shakes and buildings fall. But that word also is in the family of there's going to be several disturbances. Just like when Jesus walked into Jerusalem and they were proclaiming Hosanna in the highest, the Bible said the city was stirred. It was a civil unrest. Folks, we are living in that day today, aren't we? Where people are so stirred up. There are civil unrest everywhere. It seems like somebody's mad about this or somebody's mad about that. This group don't like that group. That group don't like this group. And there's a stirring and a shaking. Can I tell you, folks, it's just one of those birth pains that are gearing up and getting ready for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to come back again. There are birth pains happening right now. There's stirring going on. There'll be a shakeup in society. We find, I got to keep moving. Number three, persecution. Is predicted. Look with me at verse 9 through 14. Then you'll be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. You'll be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. We find Jesus said that many will be killed for their faith. Let me give you this statistic. Historically, more than 70 million Christians have been martyred in the course of history. Listen to this. Of those 70 million, more than half were martyred in the 20th century. We think about the book of Acts. We think about the Caesars, like Caesar Nero, who chopped Paul's head off at the chopping block. And we think about those times, we think, well, that's got to be the bulk of it. No, absolutely not. In fact, the bulk of it, when you look at it time-wise, has been in the 20th century. Half, more than half of those 70 million have been martyred since the 20th century. Over the 21st century, roughly 100,000 to 160,000 Christians were killed each year. Roughly 1,093,000 Christians were martyred worldwide between 2000 and 2010. One million. Between 2000 and 2000. We think about those ancient times. We think about those brutal times. This was modern days. Now let's look at modern global church persecution statistics. 322 Christians are killed for their faith every month. Right now, 322 Christians are martyred every month. 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed every month. 772 forms of violence, beatings, kidnappings, rapes, arrests, etc. are committed against Christians every month. 322 killed, 772 beat, kidnapped, raped, arrested because of their faith. Folks, it's real. It's real. Now, I know a lot of us that have been in this nice, cushy place called the United States. We don't see it as much. 
We don't know it. I think probably some of our international students, if we were to ask some of them what they've seen in their countries and what they've seen, it's a whole lot different than what a lot of us that have lived here all of our life have seen the persecution, those things that have happened. But it's going on, and it's going on right now. Come on, somebody say birth pains. There will be an increase of wickedness according to verse 12. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Iniquity or lawlessness. That's the Greek word, anomia. It means lawlessness. What have we been through? And listen, I'm not trying to get crazy here. I'm not trying to get political here. But we have just been through in the last couple years, what? Abolish the police. Get rid of police, defund the police, let's just have lawlessness, let's just do whatever needs to go on. Now listen to me, I believe in, listen, there in every, there's bad seed in every bunch. I know that there are, there are bad cops out there. I don't think they should be allowed to do it, but there's a whole lot of good ones also. Man, y'all are quiet now, that's all right. But we find, Jesus said, birth pain, lawlessness, and what does this really lead up to? Yeah, well, if you study your scripture and you know there's a guy coming, his name is going to be the Antichrist. In fact, the scripture also referred to him as the lawless one. You see, this world, these birth pains are setting up what they're setting up for the true Christ to come, but they're also setting up for what the true Christ said another one's going to come also, that one known as the Antichrist. And Jesus said this will cause the love of many to grow cold. There's never been a colder time, I don't believe, in the history of this world that I've seen. We've witnessed, we've witnessed over the last couple of years what I never thought we'd see. We've witnessed Christian people, church people attack each other. Preachers attack each other online. You're a horrible person if you don't wear a mask. You don't have any faith if you... Do wear a mask. Come on. You better get the vaccine or you're going to go to hell because you're endangering people. I'm not going to get the vaccine because I don't believe in it and I don't want it. Well, I've never seen anything like it, what we've been through in the last couple years. And please understand, I'm not trying to take sides here. What I am trying to say is Jesus said, birth pains. Wickedness increased. The love of many are going to grow cold. For God... And for brothers and sisters in the faith. We would begin to grow cold. We would begin to grow cold toward one another. It's birth pains. Listen folks, I know. It, it's a discouraging time. It's a hard time. It's a difficult time, but listen, what we can't do is we can't let the enemy separate us as a church. I, I promise you, and I, I've, I try my best to be careful, and I promise you I will continue to be careful. I'm, I'm not a politician up here. I'm a preacher of the gospel. And I don't want to ever use this platform to, to offend anybody by any kind of political views that I may have or anything. Listen, I don't, want, I don't want the enemy to get in and destroy the church. The biggest tactic that the enemy has always had has never been outside pressure on the church. It's always been on the inside when people can fuss and fight. Now, sometimes it used to be about the color of the carpet about whether you're going to have the red back or the green back hymnals. And then it's emerged on to whether you're going to be vaccinated or unvaccinated, whether you're going to wear a mask or you're not going to wear a mask. Come on, somebody. But the biggest tactic of the enemy has always been if he can separate the church, if he can get in the midst of us, if he can get in our ranks and cause us to turn on one another, he don't have to do a thing but sit back and laugh at us. Love of many will grow cold. For God and for our brothers and sisters in the faith. But what we find is, verse 13, that he who stands firm to the end will be saved. I don't want you to leave this place. I'm, I'm almost done. I got this last verse, verse 14, if our musicians want to be making their way here. I want to go back to what I said at the beginning. 
that for those of us that are washed in the blood, our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, this whole thing, this ought to give us hope. This ought to give us peace to know that, hey, this thing, yeah, we think it's crazy now. It's going to get crazier. But this world is not the end for me. I don't know about y'all, but this world is not my home. I'm only passing through. We used to sing that song, I can't feel at home in this world anymore. See the bright light shine. It's just about home time. I can see my father standing at the door. This world has been a wilderness, and I'm ready for deliverance. Lord, I've never been this homesick before. Folks, that, that's the cry of my heart. I love it here. I love, I love my wife. I love my girls. I love my church. I love this city that we live in. I love God has blessed me, but listen, this is not the end for me. Listen, I love all of these things, but this is not the end. This is not my hope. My hope is a home in heaven. All of these things should not, listen, when this world is falling apart, if I have built my life on this world, then absolutely I'll be devastated when it falls apart. But if my life and my hope is built on the chief cornerstone, on the solid foundation, Jesus Christ, then when it's all falling apart, I can just stand there and say, blessed be the name of the Lord. My hope is not built on this world. My hope is not built on this nation. My hope is not built on anything else than Jesus Christ. And He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And He will stand for all eternity. He who endures to the end will be saved. Verse 14, this is it. I told you this is just a Sunday morning version. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Now does Jesus mean that when that last tribe out in the middle of that remote jungle that's never heard the gospel before, when that last one hears that, immediately it's over. I don't, I don't think so. Because I go back to what I've said from the beginning as we read about this. It's all birth pains. It's all birth pains. I can tell you that in those times, Molly Kate was the most recent, and I can remember when the contractions did go to get to that place, and the nurse said, I'm calling the doctor. She's just about ready. And you could see after birth pain, after birth pain, after birth pain, that finally birth was about to happen. Folks, that's where we're at. Birth pain, wars. Birth pain, rumors of wars. Birth pains, earthquakes, literal earthquakes. Birth pains, civil unrest. Birth pains, lawlessness. Birth pains. I believe it's going to get to that. And we'll, I don't think there's any way any human is going to know. When that last missionary enters that most remote place of the world, whether it be in Africa or South America or Asia somewhere, and they enter that last place, so that last place that has never yet heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that missionary shares the gospel. I believe it's going to be that last one. I believe Jesus is going to be looking over at the Father about that time. And he's going to be recognizing. Like that nurse looked at me and said, it's time, I'm calling the doctor. This thing's about to happen right now. I feel that in my spirit now, don't you? I feel, we, we, we're seeing it. We're seeing the birth pains. We're seeing it here and there. We're seeing it all go on. I believe Jesus. He's coming back. He's coming back. We're near the end. But we don't have to let it make us afraid. It's our hope. It's our joy. Stand with me all over the house if you would, please.
Come on, let's sing this. Holy is the...